Well, Merry Christmas. Are you thankful for Jesus today? I am thankful for Jesus. I think that's what we're supposed to be most thankful for this time of year in the midst of all the other things. And uh, sometimes we experience Christmas in the midst of a lot of difficult circumstances, don't we? And we don't want to gloss over that, pretend it's not real, that's not authentic or genuine or respectful of those in pain. We also don't want to be limited to that, right? Because Jesus came right into the midst of that to bring us light in the darkness. And that is why we celebrate. And so this morning, you know, whether you're watching online from home because you were scared of the icy roads or you were like excited about, let's see what's out there today, Um, you know, or you're sitting across the hall in traditions, you know, we have a reason to celebrate. And I hope that you are celebrating. You know, this is a time of year when we, we kind of pull out all the stops, right? We celebrate with our food. We celebrate with our calendars. You know, we, we all, you know, everybody's like, oh, I'm so busy. Like it's a punishment. But most of the things we're excited about, right? We're busy because we want to do at least most of those things. Maybe there's a couple obligatory ones that you're like, I could do without that. But, you know, we celebrate with that. We celebrate with our food and with gifts and all those other things. And I wonder, what is your favorite part of celebration? As you go towards Christmas, think about that for a moment. Maybe whisper it to your your neighbor. Be like, this is actually my favorite part. The rest I could do without. But what's your favorite part of celebrating as we head towards Christmas? I was thinking about this this week because sometimes we're like, Christmas! And it's like, what what actually do you like about it? I'll tell you what, one of my favorite things, if if I'm honest... Uh, this probably won't surprise many of you that know me. My, one of my favorite things is, is food, is the seasonal foods that come out. Some of you are already saying it. I don't know, maybe, yeah, there's, a, maybe there's an issue that I need some discipleship on. But, <clears throat> um, but I love the seasonal foods, right? Like I love a, a good, fresh gingerbread or molasses cookie. Does anybody, you like a good, fresh? Now, don't, don't give me those ones that have been sitting like in a Costco warehouse for six months waiting for Christmas in a plastic box with tape over it. Like, come on, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when it comes out of the oven and it's still gooey and the whole house smells like all, whatever all those spices are in there. I don't even know. I'm not very good at baking. I'm really good at eating, okay? I love pumpkin pie. And I will take a pumpkin pie over a pumpkin spice latte any day of the week. I love good old-fashioned pumpkin pie with way too much Cool Whip on top. That's the way to eat it, right? I love turkey at Thanksgiving. I love turkey at Christmas. I could eat turkey every day in between. I like it fried. I like it baked. I like it whatever. I love turkey, right? White meat, dark meat, come on. I just love all the foods of the holiday. And some of you are like, what time is lunch today? And uh, is the honey baked ham store open, okay? But um, I I love all the foods. I also love just, uh, I love Christmas lights, I don't like hanging them, some of you know that, but I do like driving around and seeing the sacrifice that was made for my benefit by those that climbed on roofs and hung Christmas lights. And so we often will pick a night sometime and drive around with our kids and see all Christmas lights everywhere, and obviously there's a couple of spots around here that you can go and do that anyways, but I love Christmas lights. I love time with people. You know, I, I love just quality time with people, friends, family, whoever, coworkers. I love just some of the extra moments to slow down and usually our schedule's really full of moments where we're supposed to slow down and spend time with those people. And I think about all those things. I love Christmas Eve service. You know, we've talked about that, and that's a personal thing that I really enjoy. Since I became a Christian as a young adult, I've really found that as a sacred way to kind of dedicate my, my Christmas moments and memories to Jesus and really remember what it's all about. I love all that stuff. I love different things about the holidays. But, you know, celebration is actually fun, and exciting because of the times that aren't very celebratory, 
right? Like celebration, we like to celebrate because not all of life is a celebration. Now I think our culture has made an effort of turning like every day and every season into some kind of celebration, right? There are stores that are like constantly celebrating some season, but they're moving to the next holiday, the next thing. Some people's houses are like that. They're like the day after Christmas, they're like out with Christmas and now we're decorating for New Year's and then out with New Year's and now we're decorating for Martin Luther King Day and next is President's Day and you're like, Guys, some of those holidays, like, you get a day off. Like, there's nothing, I don't know if you're gonna decorate your house with the pictures of presidents or whatever, but, you know, we don't like the, the celebration to stop. But part of the reason that celebratory moments start and stop is because celebration is meant to represent what Jesus did for us. You know, there's a reason that the word holiday comes from holy day, from sacred day. It's a moment that we take a step outside of the pain and the difficulty and the darkness of everyday life, which if we're honest, there's a lot of things about life that are just difficult, right? Work is hard, relationships are hard. All of the things about life take effort and difficulty and there's pain and obstacles and celebration, holidays, holy days are meant for us to step outside and remember that despite all of the difficulty and pain in a broken world, that there's some really good stuff about it too. That despite all of the difficulty of the world that we live in, that God is a God who has given us good things and God is a God who has promised us good things and God is a God who has brought us good things. And there's no more significant holiday that we celebrate that in than Christmas, right? And Easter would be the follow-up to that, that at Christmas we celebrate God coming to live with us. And at Easter we celebrate that that same God came to die for us and then rise from the dead as a promise of what he had done on our behalf. But our celebration at this Christmas season is meant to be in contrast to the difficulty of the world. And so if you're heading into this holiday season and it's been a hard year for you, it's been a painful year, then I would encourage you, not in denial of your pain, but maybe in the face of your pain, celebrate all the more because your life is not hopeless. This is not the end. Pain is not, <clears throat> excuse me, pain is not the only reality of your life, that Jesus is going to do good things, he has done good things, and he has more good things ahead for you. So celebrate all the more. Celebration is worship when we acknowledge that we're celebrating what God has done. And that's why we celebrate at Christmas, because when Jesus came into the world, he brought a light to our darkness with the hope of a better future. <clears throat> and that's one of the things that Jesus guaranteed when he came to be with us. He came as the fulfillment of a promise that if we will trust in God, our future will be better than our past. <clears throat> our future in this life will be better than our past. Our future will be better than the past of our sin, than the difficulties and the struggles that we've had, than some of the other things that we've wrestled with. Our, our future will be better than the current reality that we're in because God is committed to growing us and, and showing us how to live life better than we have before. And our life is guaranteed better in eternity where we are going to experience life as it was meant to be all along through here. We're going to experience that life as it should be. And so Jesus came to guarantee us all those things, to promise us all those things. And when we trust in him, when we look at the fact that God came to be with us, we can trust that God has that better future in store for us. And we read about that light in the Gospel of John. In John chapter one, we read, <clears throat> thank you, I'm struggling up here. I appreciate it. I'm just ready for some communion later, I think. But, um, just kidding. But all that to say, uh, 
we're gonna read in John chapter one. You can, re, you can turn to John chapter one this morning and in John chapter one, we see John's kind of symbolic, decades later perspective on Christmas. John wrote this gospel as an old man decades after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and gives us kind of the symbolic take. The other gospels give us kind of more the literal historical story and John's gospel gives us some of the, the spiritual truths behind what Jesus was doing as he came into the world. And we see here in verses four and five, the first description of this, I want you to notice some of the pieces here as he kind of sums up the whole story of creation around Jesus. He calls Jesus the word. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God. The ultimate, the ultimate way that we see and hear God is through Jesus. The second most uh, clear way is through the Bible, which is also called the word of God and the word in Jesus. The word is Jesus in book form. Jesus is God in human form, right? That there's these revelations of God that help us to know and relate to God on our terms. And so in verse four, it says that the word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And I want you to stop and just absorb that thought there, that everything that was created, ever, everybody, everything, every star, every molecule, Jesus created it. Think about that when you're thinking about that little baby in a manger. That Jesus who created the universe then allowed himself to be created human style, born as a baby from a womb, right? That's pretty amazing. Let's just read on. And his life, so later when he came to live among us, his life brought light to everyone. Now there's a really big gap, see where that comma is in there between created and his life? In between, right where that comma is, between when Jesus created all of us and between when he came to live with us and bring light, do you know why he had to come bring light? Because there was a whole lot of darkness in between where there was that comma. And John doesn't talk about this right in this moment, but the reality is that when after God created us, we used the relational capacity that we had as human beings to reject God and to go our own way, to pursue our own path. And actually, John also writes in 1 John, in the letter of 1 John, he describes our rejection of God and our pursuit of ourselves in, in three ways. He says, you know, really, human beings, they pursue the ways of the world through pursuit of pleasure, through pursuit of possessions, and through pursuit of their own pride. That those are the things that we crave after, and instead of finding satisfaction in relationship with God, we say, God, I'm gonna go chase what I want on my own terms, and I pursue pleasure, possessions, and pride. It's 1 John 2, 15 through 17, you can read about that. But the point is that that comma in between Jesus creating and Jesus living and bringing light was a whole lot of darkness caused by human sin. Because the Bible tells us that the story of human beings' pursuit of their own pleasure, possessions, and pride has caused them to both reject God and people, to do damage to every relationship around them. And the spiritual results of our relational damage is that the whole world is broken. The whole world is messed up. The Bible tells us that many of the natural disasters and diseases and natural forms of brokenness in our world are actually a, a result of the spiritual brokenness of human sin. That's kind of a lot to think about, isn't it? The brokenness in the world is a result of human beings walking away from their creator. There's a lot of darkness that comes from that. And into that darkness, that second phrase becomes a reality. His life brought light to everyone. And I love verse five. 
the light. What's the light? Jesus' life. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it right? Because Jesus came to live among us, and then when we couldn't pay the price to, to, for the, the, the deserved punishment for our sins, Jesus came to pay, be an atoning sacrifice. That means atonement means you have to pay the penalty. And sacrifice means he gave himself to pay the penalty as a substitute for us so that we didn't have to pay the price for our own sins. That's a big deal that Jesus died for us. But you know what's also a big deal? That because Jesus lived without sin, Death could not hold him. The light that was his life looked like it was going to be extinguished because of our sin, but the light of his life was bigger than even the darkness of our sin. So Jesus rose from the dead and said, I told you so, to the devil and to all of us. He said, I can conquer your sins. I can cleanse them away and I can give life as a result and I'm back again to prove to you that after you die as a result of your sin, I can raise you up to life again. That's what Jesus did for us. That's the light of the world, the life of Jesus that cannot be extinguished. And so when you're in a dark place in life, when you're in a dark place in the world, you look to that light and you say, Jesus, I've got some darkness over here. I don't even know how to light it up, but I need you in this moment. I need you in this moment. And the darkness can never extinguish it. When you know Jesus, you will never experience a pain or a brokenness that can extinguish the light of Jesus. And last week we talked about how that light starts with the hope of a better future. But that light does not stop there. Because he says the one, verse nine, it sums this idea up. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And the world represents all the places that darkness exists because of human sin. Jesus came to bring light into every area, not just into our future. Which means that the light of Jesus brings more than hope. And if we read on in the next couple of verses, we'll see the next piece that Jesus really changed the game at Christmas, the next way that Jesus brought light into the darkness. In verse 10 and 11, it says this. This is kind of part of the sad part of the story. It says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Jesus came with a really good mission. He saw a lot of people stuck in darkness. They were his people. They were his creations. And he was born into a lineage of people that he had revealed ahead of time that he was gonna come to the, the Jews, to the Israelites. He had revealed, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm gonna come through the people of Israel and we're gonna be a light to the world. But when Jesus came to the world, both Jews and non-Jews alike rejected him. They did not want his leadership. They did not want to believe what he had to say. On the, on the, the vast majority did not want to believe. And Jesus wasn't surprised by this because this was really the response of human beings since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had first not wanted to believe or acknowledge what God had said. And Jesus also knew that after, that both at his death and after his death, many people he created and loved and would call his own, they would not call Jesus their own. They would deny him, they would reject him, right? Because the really bad habit of humanity is that we don't like to acknowledge that God exists and we don't like to acknowledge who he is. We don't like to admit to ourselves the real authority that Jesus has. It, it demands something of us when we acknowledge who someone else in our life is. 
When we acknowledge the presence of another human being, we have to acknowledge them. We have to acknowledge that there's another human being with dignity that deserves to be treated in a certain way. The closer the relationship and the more defined the relationship we have with them, the more there are certain parameters that dictate whether we relate to them in an appropriate and dignifying way or not. That's true of every relationship, parent-child, friend-to-friend, spouse, parent-to-adult parent, all those types of things, right? There are appropriate ways that we acknowledge the dignity of another human being and the different types of relationships dictate the types of appropriateness. Well, that's because we're made in the image of God. And there are ways that we, that are appropriate for us to respond to God if we acknowledge that he exists and we acknowledge who he is. But those are pretty inconvenient if what you wanna pursue is your own pleasure, your own possessions, and your own pride. It's very inconvenient to acknowledge that there is a God who has a right to your entire life, there is a God who has a right way and a wrong way for you to live your life, and you're gonna be accountable to that God. And so the general human response to that is we just pretend he doesn't exist. We pretend that he's not who he said he is. We pretend that he's not good and true and powerful. We pretend that we're not gonna stand before him at the end of our life and account for all of our actions and thoughts and words. And because of that, we live as if he does not exist, as if he never gave us life in the first place. And that is the human response that Jesus received when he came into the world. It's their human response that he received all of those generations before he came into the world. It's the same response he received ever since he's come into the world, except for a few. But I want you to think about about that idea of rejection. Is there anything more painful than rejection? I mean, think about it. We've all been rejected at some point in our lives. I mean, I could tell you some stories about some rejection. Most of them involve girls in my teenage years. But, you know... (laughs) I can tell you some stories of rejection, right? We've all been rejected in one way, shape, or form, but do you know the kind of rejection that hurts the most? Someone who really knows you, right? The people that really know you, the people maybe that even have a relationship that dictates, that that appropriate dignifying relationship would dictate that they would love you, that the more they know you, the more they should love you. Right When those types of relationships reject you, it really hurts. That's why you know, a, a deep romantic relationship, when rejection happens, it really hurts. A parent-child relationship, when rejection happens, it really cuts deep. Right? Some of those different relationships, because they know you, when they reject you, it hurts a lot more than the person who cuts you off on the freeway and says some things about you that you wouldn't repeat in church. Right? You're like, well, whatever, I don't even know who that is. But when they know you, rejection hurts, right? In fact, rejection is, is really when we deny the existence and the identity of somebody. And I don't know if there's actually anything more hateful than that. To deny someone's humanity, to de- deny someone's identity, to deny their existence and who they are to you, that is a super painful thing to do. To say, I don't know who they are, or to say, they don't mean anything to me. Those are some pretty painful, hateful words, right? And some of us have experienced some of that. Sometimes at Christmas, it's a reminder. Sometimes you're forced to sit across the table from people at Christmas that have done that to you. That's some hard stuff. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. 
because Jesus has experienced that rejection by people who were built, designed to be like him, to know him, to love him. And they've said, no thanks. I don't know who you are. I want nothing to do with you. Jesus knows what that feels like. Here's the question. When you've been rejected by someone, after you kind of get through the shock, you know, because a couple times in, in a couple stories I can think of where I was rejected, I was kind of shocked. Like, what do you mean you don't know me? You don't want, wait, what? You don't want, I thought we were friends. I thought we were close. I thought, I thought, you know, that rejection can come with some shock. Then it can come with some grief. Like, oh, I've lost this friendship, this relationship that was meaningful to me can come with all those things, but what's often the end result of that rejection? It's usually anger, revenge. I want to hate back the person who hated me. Right? That's the natural reaction is like, you know, they're, they're a jerk, they're a scumbag, they're, they're, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get back at them or they deserve worse than what they did to me, right? We, that's the natural reaction to rejection. And that would have been the natural reaction of Jesus to our rejection. I created them, I gave them this world, I gave them everything and they want nothing to do with me? Would have been the natural reaction of Jesus to want to have revenge on us. But read on in the the passage as John continues to describe the big picture of Jesus' coming into the world. In verse 12 it says, but despite that rejection, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so even though we have rejected Jesus multiple times, Jesus continues to give the invitation to relationship. He says, hey, if you'll believe me, if you'll acknowledge who I am, you'll say, okay, Jesus I don't really know what to do with this yet, but I acknowledge that you created me, that you're God, that you, I owe you something, even though I don't know what that is, and I have not given that to you. That's what believing in Jesus is. It's acknowledging Jesus is more than just a guy in history, that Jesus is God himself, and we owe him something. If we believe him and we accept him, we accept him, and and you know what, Jesus, as God, he can only fill one position in our life, that of authority. Now, how he uses that authority is up to him, but there is only one appropriate way for us to relate to Jesus. He's in charge and we're not. He is king and we are servant. The only way for us to appropriately relate to our creator, he's king and we're servant. We don't really like that. That's why most of us are like, I'm gonna go pursue my own pleasure, possessions, and pride over here. But what we don't know is what kind of a king that we are called to serve. It's this kind of king. It's the king who says, hey, if you will accept me, then you'll not only be my servants, I will give you a right to become children in my house. I will make you the beneficiaries of all my rewards. I wanna give you everything I have. That's a different kind of king. And he says, and not only that, because you've ruined the first round of life I gave you. Jesus created everything. He gave us all life. Our sin has ruined the life, has scarred and tainted the life he's given us. He says, I will give you a whole new life. No, 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 not just a second chance at life. I will give you a new life. I will birth a new life in your old life from the inside out and you will literally become a new person without ever having to be born again. And all the moms in the room said, amen to that, right? 
He offers us position in his family. He offers us new life untainted by the sins and darkness of the past. That is Jesus' response to our rejection. That's crazy. And that's maybe one of the most amazing things about Jesus. It might be the most amazing thing about Jesus is that Jesus responds to rejection with forgiveness. He responds to rejection with forgiveness. There are still a couple of people that have rejected me in my life that when I think of them, it takes me a minute to get to that forgiveness place. Right, there's still some wounds, some old scars there that when those scars get revealed or touched, I still think some of the initial reactions first. Pain, frustration, anger, resentment, bitterness. Until Jesus reminds me, hey Caleb, I've already given you a medicine for that. Put the medicine on again. Let it keep healing. Let it keep healing. In this life, some of those miracles take time. But there is an eternity coming where those wounds will hurt no more, right? And we have to trust Jesus. And why can we trust him? Because he responded to our rejection in the same way. I mean, can you imagine how embarrassing that is in front of all the angels? I mean, the creator of the universe got rejected by some piles of dirt that he breathed life into. Like the, some of those angels had to be like, oh boy, not God's best day today, Right? And yet God's like, no, 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 just wait. I see potential here. Generation after generation of human beings hating each other, taking advantage of each other, killing each other. No, 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 just wait. I see potential here. Because out of a broken humanity that's rejected Jesus, Jesus is committing to finding a perfect, beautiful bride that he wants to marry and, and live with for eternity. And that's those of us who will believe in him and accept him. He will say, I'm gonna have you adopted into my father's family. You're gonna benefit from all the treasures of my father's household. And I'm gonna give you a whole new life where the old one doesn't hurt anymore. That's the kind of thing we celebrate at Christmas. But how does Jesus live with that kind of grace? How is, how is revenge so secondary? How is punishment so secondary to his grace? I love Verse 14, John 1, 14. This would be like a memorized kind of verse. This is a verse to meditate on this Christmas season as we think about the moment that Jesus actually did this. Verse 14, it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only son. Think about this verse a little bit. So the word, which is something so much bigger. Jesus is so much bigger than human. I mean, he really is so much bigger than human. That's another thing. When, G, when, when God the Father said, Jesus, you're gonna be born as a human baby, the angels had to be like, this has gotta be another bad plan. Like, I'm not telling God, you tell God. <laughs> Have you seen what human beings do to each other down there? Do not send Jesus down there. And yet God the Father and God the Son sent Jesus and he was born, but he was, Mary was, Jesus was planted in Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sent Jesus to become human and make his home among us. And that phrase, made his home among us, it's to dwell among us. It's to do life among us. It's that idea of living in the same house, sitting across the same table. Jesus did not come to live on a pedestal above us. He came to do life among us. Why? 
Because Jesus' overarching desire is not to control us, but to be in love with us, to have relationship with us, to love and enjoy personhood with us. That's his overarching desire, is to just be with us. That is a weird kind of king, right? That's the person we submit to his authority. He just wants to be with us. He doesn't need anything. He's not a God who needs. He's a God who loves. And here's why he can forgive any rejection. Because he, when he came, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Do you know those two terms are what a marriage is supposed to be about? Unfailing love. No matter how much you fail, I'm gonna keep loving you. And we all said, thank you, Jesus. Right? No matter how much you fail, I'm gonna keep loving you. I'm not gonna love you because you're lovable. I'm gonna love you because I'm loving. Right? That's what Jesus did for us. I'm, not, I'm gonna love you even when you're unlovable because I'm so loving. Think about that in your marriage. Think about that in your family. Think about that with your friendships. Think about that with that coworker that drives you nuts. Right? And faithfulness. Faithfulness is, again, it's a marriage term biblically. It's a term that says even when you are unfaithful, even when you cheat on me, even when you leave me behind, even when you abandon me, I am going to be faithful to you. Craziness. Nobody loves like that unless they're like Jesus. Nobody loves like that unless they know the love of Jesus because Jesus loves like that. Jesus loves like that. Does it hurt Jesus? Yes, the Old Testament is full of the heart of God poured out, the agony of being rejected by the people he loves, the agony of loving us so much and being rejected over and over and over again. Jesus knows what it's like to be cheated on and abandoned and rejected. He knows all those things. But when he came to be with us, he came full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And so John, reflecting on decades since the birth of Jesus, he says, and we, the disciples of Jesus, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What is the glory of God? Is the glory of God his own pleasure, possessions, and pride? Come look at all of my trophies, humanity. I've been waiting for an eternity to show off to you. Nope. That's how we do it. What is God's glory? His glory is to share unfailing love and faithfulness with us. His glory is to let us live in his love for all of eternity and experience love like we were created to experience, like we long to experience each in our own way. And God has more than enough of that to lead us on an adventure that will take eternity. That's pretty amazing. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But do you know that love? Have you experienced that love? Because Jesus came to live among us and give that love to us now. He came to give that love right now. John writes so much in his letter, in his gospel, and in his letters, John writes so much about the love of God because this old man's conclusion about Jesus' whole life lived, God lived among us, is that it was all about love. He's the one that wrote the phrase, God is love. Right, that God's number one mission and identity is love. So I know there's a lot of people in this room that believe in Jesus intellectually, but have you experienced his love personally? Because that's when that new life is born in you. And when you 
receive Jesus' love, he lights up the darkness of your guilt, of your shame, of your anger, and your bitterness. He lights it up with his love. And what happens when a light is turned on in the darkness? The darkness dissipates, right? The darkness dissipates. And so often we have these barriers of anger and guilt and shame, things where we have these barriers about us and we have these barriers about other people that are, are reasons why we can't experience God's love, and they're real reasons, they build up scars and barriers and calluses that keep, keep something between us and the very personal love of God. But can I tell you, when you believe and accept the love of Jesus and stop trying to figure out all those things, here's the thing. I don't think that you can figure out your guilt and your shame and make it go away that way. You don't make guilt and shame go away by simply understanding it. You don't make anger and bitterness go away by simply understanding it. It's love that makes those things go away. It's the light of Jesus flipping on in your life that makes all of the darkness flee away. And when you actually accept the love of Jesus, the experience of his love makes those things dissipate. And you're like, I don't know why I'm not angry anymore. I just feel Jesus' love so much. I don't know why I'm not bitter. I don't know why I'm not wounded. I can't explain those things. All I can explain is that my primary experience of life is Jesus' love for me. That is the way you are meant to live. That is the way you are meant to wake up every morning. It's the way you're meant to go to bed every night. And I'll tell you what, it's not because life isn't stressful. It is a daily experience for me to sit down with Jesus in my stress, frustrations, difficulties in life and to say, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this. Will you help me again? And do you know what the first experience before he speaks any wisdom to me, he always just reminds me of his love. I'm just warmed by his love. And the moment that his love is the most real experience of my life, I'm not worried about it anymore. I'm not stressed anymore. I don't know what he did, other than that I'm so confident in his love, I'm not stressed about those other things anymore. And then out of his love, he usually gets, it's usually like so simple, it's like a one-liner. He's like, Caleb, just go do this. And I'm like, okay, God, thank you. It doesn't mean it's always easy, but I'm so confident in his love that then I go do what he told me to do and it works out what I'm stressed out about. That's how we're supposed to live in the reality of Jesus coming. When you celebrate this Christmas, celebrate with the experience of God's love. So I would ask you again, do you know God that way? I think it's entirely possible to sit in church for 50 years and never know God that way. Because the calluses of bitterness and anger at a parent, at a spouse, at somebody that should have loved you and didn't, a sibling, whoever, you let those things stand as barriers between you and you're afraid to let God in. Or you're afraid God, you'll let God in and he won't actually like you. Can I tell you something? That I had this profound conversation with one of my wonderful sisters in this church last week who, who I just said, hey, do you realize that God actually likes you? And she said, well, I've always kind of believed God loved me in in sort of a generic sense, but it's kind of hard for me to believe that God likes who I am. I'm like, oh, sis, God loves, he loves who you are, but he likes you too. He likes the quirks of your personality. He likes the way that you have approached life. He likes some of those things that you're kind of embarrassed about about yourself. He likes you, right? Do you know the love of God like that? And just right here in the middle of the message, because I'm not done yet, so don't stand up and walk out, but I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to have a moment with Jesus. 
And I want you to be honest. Do you know the love of God like that? Have you experienced that love of God that dissipates all fear and darkness and bitterness? Have you let that light fully saturate your soul? And if you don't know Jesus like that, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus that has gone beyond intellect and gone personal, I wanna pray for you right now. I wanna pray that this Christmas will be a Christmas when the light of the world comes into your heart and soul. So if that's you and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, would you just slip a hand up? Slip a hand up right now with heads bowed. I see those hands, thank you. I see that hand, thank you. Anybody else, you haven't experienced that personal love of Jesus. Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody else? Yeah, I see that, thank you. Thank you for that honesty. I see that hand, thank you. So whether you've experienced that personal relationship with God before or not, would you just invite Jesus to come into your life right now? And, and it starts just like we talked about. You have to acknowledge who he is. Jesus, I recognize you're my creator. You're in charge. If you raised your hand, I want you to say that quietly in your own heart. I want you to say, Jesus, I recognize you're, you're my creator and you deserve my whole life. Second part is acknowledging where we haven't lived appropriately in that relationship. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have not lived my life the way you created me to. I've made some mistakes. I've done some things I'm not proud of. I acknowledge that. And then the third thing is to say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Don't ask it with shame. Don't ask it. He's going to forgive you, but say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of what I've done, and I need you to cleanse me of what other people have done to me. I need you to cleanse me of evil thoughts and evil actions that have been put into my life. I need you to cleanse me of the darkness of the world around me. I need you to fill me up. And then I want you to say this in your heart. Jesus, would you show me your love for me? Not just would you show me your love generically, would you show me your love for me? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would release the power of your Holy Spirit to wash your people in your love today. Father, I pray that there would be young men that know the love of a father for the first time today. Father, I pray for some of my sisters in Christ that they would know that there is not a part of their life that you don't see as beautiful. That you not only love them, but you like who they are. Father, I pray that you would make it more than just about a salvation from eternity. And Lord, that you would rescue us from the darkness of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The love of Jesus is amazing. And I just want to say, if you're new to relationship with Jesus, it's not about an emotional feeling. It's about this knowing in your knower. They're like deep down in your soul, you're like, something is different. Like, I, 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 God loves me. He wants me. And I want him back. And that is enough to begin to change the trajectory of your life in significant ways. But can I tell you there's more to the light of Christmas than that? Jesus came to give us all light. 
But there's this crazy thing about God. Since the Garden of Eden, God wants to share his glory with us. He wants to partner with us, which means when Jesus came into the world to shine light, he wanted to impart that light to us through his love. That experience of his love allows us to love other people that way. Even so much so that we can, we can love our enemies. That Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for your enemies. And that's one of the crazy realities of what Jesus did at Christmas time. Jesus came to love his enemies. Not, we weren't enemies by his choice. We were enemies by our choice, but he came to love us anyways. And that is what Jesus has called us to do, is to take the love he shined into our lives and shine it into other people. And that is the amazing thing about Christians at Christmas, is that when you love those you are tempted to hate, and we all have them. Some of us make it look pretty, but it's not. When you love those you're tempted to hate, you shine the light of Jesus in a dark world. And for those of you that didn't pray that salvation prayer for the very first time, you've been walking in the love of Jesus, I wanna know, are you loving people like Jesus did? Are you loving people with radical forgiveness and radical grace? Are you extending an invitation to them even though they do not deserve it? Is there anything harder about being a Christian than that? Anything that that last vestige of sinful nature pushed backs against more than that. But they hurt me. But they don't deserve it. But you don't know what they've done to me. And you're right. I do not know. But what I do know is that there is nothing that has been done to you that is worse than what humanity has done to Jesus. And he came to us anyways. But I know how hard this is for us to do, and um, as I was preparing this message, the Holy Spirit just brought to mind one of our pastors who has demonstrated this in a way that I have just rarely seen in my life. And I wanted him to share a little bit of his story because I think that part of what God wants to call our church to this Christmas is to love some unlovable people in our lives or to love some people that don't deserve our love and to be like Jesus in that way. So Pastor Harrison, would you come on up Pastor Harrison is, um, well, don't give him a hand yet. He hasn't said anything good, okay? Here's the thing. I've known Harrison since he was a middle schooler. He looks a little different now. He didn't have a beard then. Or a child or a wife or any of those things. But uh, I, I had the privilege of being Harrison's youth pastor for a season of time. And as a youth pastor for about a decade, I saw a lot of families in distress, a lot of kids in distress, but Harrison and his four siblings um, were, in my opinion, in one of the most difficult homes that I ever was involved in as a pastor. And Harrison, I want you to just share a little bit about what made your home growing up as a young person so difficult. Um, yeah, so um, my, my siblings and I, we, we grew up with a pretty abusive father. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't just one type of abuse. It was probably all the different types that you could yeah. think of were, were kind of culminated in, um, under one roof. Um, and you know, the same thing with, with my mom as well, just saw some, a lot of relational strife there. Um, for, for various reasons, my dad went to prison for, um, an extended period of time. So weekends were spent traveling between home and the prison to see dad. Um, and you know, I, I think uh, just kind of reflecting back on that time, um, it, was, it was a really difficult time for our family um, because we, you know, 
Every, everybody wants their dad to love them. Um, everybody wants, wants their dad to be proud of them. And um, I, we, my, my siblings and I didn't feel that very often um, just because of some of the words that were spoken and um, some of the actions that happened. And uh, yeah, we were, it was just a, it was a really, a really broken, broken place. One of the things that stood out to me about your story once everything came out was how much was kind of hidden behind the scenes. Um, You know, your your family was in church every Sunday for pretty much your life, Mm -hmm. your whole life, and uh, nobody knew. Most people had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. And I, I wonder if you would share some of the thoughts and feelings as a young person when everybody kind of treated your family like it was normal but you knew behind the scenes there was a lot of things going on that were pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. It's it was hard. It was hard, kind of growing up with with that um, kind of with with other people's mentality of well, they're they're the family that shows up every weekend, right? But I'm also you know I'm also at home before we leave for church, watching my mom tell my dad to get out of bed because he wasn't excited about going to church, um, and I saw that that wrestle week in week out. And then, you know, going to church and watching my dad worship after the night before that, he, like, was abusing my siblings and I mm-hmm. was crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and then even even more so just the fact that, like, um, I think, uh, you know, there was there was a lot of positions my dad was given in the church to go on missions trip and trips and serve Jesus. And, um, you know, I always prayed that those moments were going to be defining moments for his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just, it just never panned out to be, he'd come home and and be the same, the same person. And so that was a really disappointing kind of thing to see as, as a young person. Yeah. How would you describe, um, some of the results of that pain over time in your life? So what what were some of the darker moments for you? What was that like for you as you kind of lived in that, in that home? Yeah. Um, I would say I just being in that, in that environment, one of the darkest seasons of my life, I, I hit rock bottom, went into depression, um, was con- I, I attempted suicide a couple of times, was contemplating it all the time, and uh, spent a couple weeks in a psychiatric unit getting help, and um, just because I didn't see that there was a way out, right? I, yeah. I, felt, I felt trapped, um, and I know I can speak for, for my family when they felt the same way. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was probably the darkest portion um, where I just like hit rock bottom. I'm like, I don't, I don't have a way out of this. And so it'd be easier to move on from, from this life into the next one. Yeah. Um, and so that's, it got pretty bad. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I ask Harrison to share that because I think that sometimes it's surprising what people are going through right in our own community. Right. Mm -hmm. And this was happening right under the noses of a wonderful church community. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, that kind of partially got resolved by your dad going to prison partially Mm -hmm. for you got resolved as you kind of grew up and got out of the house. It's kind of a a dual thing there that gave you some separation. But one of the things that, that has amazed me about you is how you processed through that relationship and have handled it since that separation. Would love for you to share a little bit about like, how did Jesus lead you through that? Yeah. Yeah. So really since that time. Uh, the state actually pulled my dad out of our house, and uh, my mom and dad ended up getting a, a divorce. Um, and I just remember really struggling with a lot of like bitterness and anger, even like even though 
my dad was removed from that situation, I still experienced a lot of bitterness and anger. Sure. Um, and, you know, one night I remember waking up and it was in that season of just like, I was angry at my dad. I wanted to, I just had every word in my mind going on about yeah. him. Um, and the Holy Spirit awoke me in my sleep and uh, really challenged me to go to his house and mow his lawn. And um, I, I don't know why. Um, I, I, I don't know if it's because Jesus like knows I hate mowing lawns so much. Um, so he's like, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you this task. And I was like, I, for a few days, I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like, I have to go like show up. And my dad was in prison at the time, but his new wife was currently living at their house. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go. I'm going to load the lawnmower up in my car. Uh, not a truck. It was a sedan, um, <laughs> which, was, which was interesting. Um, just me like picking up the lawnmower. So I went to his house and I mowed his lawn for him. And I walked away not really feeling anything different. I was just like, okay, God, like I did it. I was obedient. Yeah. Um, and then like a week later, the Holy Spirit woke me up again and was like, now you need to go visit your dad in prison. And, um, and this is you as a young adult, right? Mm -hmm. This is kind of yeah. college or post-college. I think I'm like 18, like 17, 18 at the okay. time. And I'm like, man, I don't. I don't want to go do that. You know, I'd, like that would require me to have a face-to-face -face conversation with my dad. Um, and so, uh, again, like God was just like impressing on my heart to go do it. So um, I went to the, the jailhouse and um, I was like, hi, I'm here to, you know, see, see my dad. And um, they were like, okay, well, let me check to see, let me check to see if, if he wants visitors right now. And uh, he, he didn't want to talk to me, didn't want to see me. And uh, so I went back home. I was like, okay, Lord, like I did it. I'm, and again, the next night, God was like, you need to go back. And um, so I, I went back and same response. And um, I did that four different times with the same response. Um, yeah, and it's just like, and... and um, there wasn't really any resolution from that. I think yeah. like I just, I walked away just kind of feeling that rejection. Um, but I also realized the, the, what God was calling me to was forgiveness mm -hmm. um, and extending my hand to somebody that doesn't deserve my hand. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, so that, that was hard. Yeah. That was hard, yeah. So following that, you know, as you kind of embrace that kind of call to forgive, mm -hmm. what has God done in your heart and life since then? I would say, um, you know, ever since then now, like I'm, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a husband, and um, I would say kind of the, the weightiest task that God's given me now is to be a father. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel that pressure daily to be a different kind of father. Mm. Um, because I want to leave a legacy, um, and, but I realize that there's only one way to do that, and um, that's first of all through loving my son well, um, but also modeling what it looks like to forgive somebody that's hurt us, yeah. and, um, you know, I want to be able, I'm going to have to tell my son one day about, about his grandpa, mm -hmm. and who uh, I still don't have contact with today, um, but I also want 
to tell my son about his grandpa knowing that I have truly forgiven him yeah. and that I'm willing to be obedient to God when he says, hey, step out. I want you to go reach out to him and, and talk with him. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm still praying that, that the Lord opens doors and um, allows for relationship to take place there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that that will happen in his timing. But I've just experienced personally a lot of freedom um, laying that down at the feet of Jesus because I'm like, there's, there's nothing that bitterness, rage, or anger is going to do for me. Um, and... Uh, at the, and I know that, I know that the Lord's done that for me in a lot of ways too. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can say as a guy that knew you as a kid and knew your dad and now watch you with your son, you're a very different dad than what was modeled for you. And I think, uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to share today is because I think you're an example of what Jesus's grace can do when we do embrace Jesus's love. We can't always put a finger on like, well, Jesus just turned the switch in me. Right. But I think w- watching who you were in those moments of pain as a teenager and who you are as a man today mm-hmm. is a, the only way I can explain it is that you have embraced what God wanted to do in your life and he's done some miracles. And it's pretty cool to watch that play out in the next generation. Yeah. We, I don't know that you ever would have thought of that when you're loading that lawnmower in your sedan, that this is going to no. impact my son someday, or this yeah. is going to impact my marriage someday. But sometimes it's those early uh, embraces of forgiveness and grace that set us up to be healthy in those other bigger moments. Yeah. And I think I'm just really proud of you. Can we give Pastor Harrison a hand for sharing with yeah. us today? Thank you. Thank you. You know, Harrison's story isn't everybody's story. But one of the things that I've just thought about a lot as I've walked with Harrison and his family in different parts of their story is, um, you know, the father is supposed to be the person who leads the way in love. And it's amazing to me to get to walk with Harrison today and be friends with Harrison. I'm just like shocked sometimes when I see him. I'm like, are you faking this right now? Like you never learned this. You learned the opposite of this. Like you, you've never seen this before except that his, he has allowed his heavenly father to show him a love that he never experienced in a human form. And I'm not meaning to embarrass you, Harrison, but I just, I want you to know that is the potential of every brokenness that we face is we can turn that around and say, Jesus, this hurts. I need you to heal me in a way that allows me to actually love someone else. And love looks different for, for Harrison. His relation with his father will probably never be like what it should have been. But the fact that he's open to a healthy relationship is a big deal, right? We're not talking about no boundaries. We're not talking about any of those things. What we're talking about is giving another human being the dignity that Jesus gave us in forgiving us. And so as we close today, I want you, one, to know the love of Jesus first and foremost. That's what Jesus came into the world, to shine that light in our hearts. But two, we as the people of God have a light to shine into the darkest places. Into the darkest places, I mean, I want that picture to seal in your head of a, of a college-age young man going time and time again to visit an abusive father who never apologized, who never made it right, going again and again to knock on a prison door that was never open to him. And his response is love. So what is yours to those that have wounded you? Why am I pushing you on this? Because I want you to be healed. I want you to be whole. I want you to feel that freedom that I see in Harrison's eyes when, I, when he picks up his son. You know, I want you to feel that freedom that only Jesus can give. 
And so as we bow our heads today, I want you to forgive those that have, have need to be forgiven. Would you bow your heads with me? And let's invite Jesus to shine that light through us. Father, we come to you this morning and we just confess, not, we've already confessed our own sins, but Lord, we confess that there's some wounds that still haven't been healed in our lives and there are faces behind those wounds. Lord, there are things that have been done to us that we have not yet forgiven and Lord, we need you. We need you to help us forgive and to live with the same kind of love that we have lived. lived. So Lord, I just ask in this moment that you would lead us through that same, same walk of forgiveness, not because they deserve it, but because you do. So right now in this moment, I want you to do just what Pastor Harrison said. He used that phrase we use sometimes. I laid it at the feet of Jesus. That's the posture of a servant before a king and we lay our burden at his feet. I want you to picture the face that hurt you and I want you to say, Jesus, that's between you and them, not between me and them anymore. And I want you to say, Jesus, I want to pray that you would bless them because you blessed me when I didn't deserve it. It's between him and them how that plays out. It's your job to have the right heart. Father, I pray that this Christmas you would lead us to love those who maybe don't deserve it. Maybe people in our home or our workplace. Lead us to love those around us that are difficult for us to love and to shine that light that you shined into our lives. Do it by your spirit. Give us freedom in forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray.